Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to The Drop-In. It has been a while since we last chatted to you, but today we've got something a little bit different that hopefully you're going to really enjoy. Um, The past month has seen a play about England, the England national football team, going on in the National Theatre in London. It's called Dear England... And it's not happily going to be the subject of Pete's Film Club. It's not like Goal. It's not like United Passions. It's a play about Gareth Southgate mainly and the England men. And Gareth Southgate is played by a Hollywood actor, Joseph Fiennes. And there are actors playing Deli Alley, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling and even Eric Dyer. So what's it all about? Well, that's what I'm finding out today with the play's writer, James Graham. He's a celebrated scriptwriter for stage and for screen, including the huge UK series Sherwood. And he spent time with Southgate and other big figures in the England team to write this. His own experience as an England fan started in Euro 1996, which makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to talk to him about the positives he's found from following this team and from Southgate. Positives that stretch well beyond the football pitch. So sit back, get one of those little baby theatre ice creams and enjoy it because this is The Drop-In with James Graham. Dear England, I can't possibly hope to speak to an entire country, but I would like to say a few things with you as we begin this journey. It's been an extremely difficult time 
It's given us all a new understanding of the fragility of life. And in the grand scheme of things, perhaps football doesn't seem so important. And what I want to speak about is much bigger than football. I tell my players that what they are a part of, what we are all a part of, is an experience that lasts in the collective consciousness of our country. Every game has the potential to create a lifelong memory for an England fan somewhere. Why do we care so much? What I know is, what is often forgotten is, how much it means to the players. Players are fans too. The idea that they don't care has become a false narrative and we must give them confidence to stand up for their teammates and the things they believe in as people. I've never believed that we should just stick to football. Of course, I know my players and I will be judged on winning matches, believe me. But the result is just a small part. We thought it would be a great idea to start by asking what that Dear England letter back in 2021 summed up for you. I mean, I think for a lot, like a lot of fans, I just never been spoken to like that before from a manager, like treated as an adult with a brain um, and an adult sort of calling calling things out, the culture, what it felt like to be living in, in England at that moment in 2021. We'd all just been through the pandemic. We were suffering a great amount of trauma and a great amount of grief, but we're all really excited for this, this tournament that we were hosting and, and had not been expected to have that pressure of being the hosts. And uh, and for me, I guess I'd been wondering, is there a play in Gareth Southgate for about three years before that? I started thinking that in 2018 and kept thinking, am I an idiot? Is that, can you ever make a play out of football that doesn't make people cringe? Is Gareth Southgate like a strong enough theatrical protagonist to, to carry a story? But like a lot of people are probably like you, I knew something was happening that was extraordinary as early as the Russia World Cup. It felt like a different team and I was so curious as to... What, why, how, how is that happening? And then that, that letter just um, confirmed it, confirmed that Gareth Southgate was a different kind of leader. Yeah, that bit in the, the Columbia penalty shootout, when you do it in the play, is, was the first bit that made me cry, which we might come back to. Um, <laughs> hopefully not, to be honest. I have form for crying in podcasts also. Um, but but that's, that's so amusing to hear you kind of call it out as a first thing, which is... Culture and football, there have been a lot of, for example, football films that yeah. are pretty terrible. So we... <laughs> not, so we that's you, not for me to comment. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So w- w- were you nervous about that as, as a... God, nervous, absolutely cacking it. Like, I just, I really, <laughs> I thought, how is... I mean, in a way, it's a bit simpler as a, as a writer when you're doing um, drama because you are, you are one creative force amongst many forces so I knew we'd need a director I knew we'd need choreographers and a designer and it would be part of their job and their responsibility to help me tell this story because I can't just write in the script kick kick football do a penalty like it's got to be it had to be like really woven into the fabric of the of the script so I needed a lot of help but yeah I thought um I suppose the one thing that calmed me down a bit was that I knew fundamentally the play was 
going to be mainly looking at the culture, how you change the culture of any organisation. It could be a school, an office, a bank. Um, how did Gareth go into this really old institution playing a really old game with really old ideas and convince them to try a different approach? So I knew there'd be a lot of basically people in rooms pointing at things and talking. I knew how to write that. And I also was really, I calmed down when I think, I don't know how we're going to do the football, the gameplay, the in-match stuff. But, uh, you know, a lot of the, the trauma about the England football experience is about penalties. And I thought there's something so inherently theatrical about a penalty anyway, like the walking up to the ball and the, 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 the lonely single figure in the middle of the stage. I thought surely there's a really, there's a compatible theatre language that will make that hopefully like really electric. Yes. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And and it is a really good way to capture the England trauma, exactly as you're saying, as well as a key, like such a moment in a game of football, even though it's such out of the the gate, the general game of football. It's like yeah. it's actually such an uncommon thing. But in terms of the England narrative, it's absolutely massive. So Gareth Southgate then, uh, you've already mentioned that he's this sort of quite unassuming guy in many, many ways yeah. and, and not necessarily, especially in a th- big theatre, like uh, the National Theatre, it's it's a sort of, um, you imagine uh, kings and... Um, exactly, yeah. yeah warriors. <laughs> fighters, and, uh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of uh, language of war in football, usefully or not usefully used. That's another debate for another day. But yeah, yeah, did you did you have, how long did you question the idea that he would be able to hold the thread of a whole entire play together as a character? Yeah, I was nervous about that. And that's no disrespect to Gareth, who himself, um, who I don't pretend to know, hugely. I, mean, I, I was lucky to spend some time with him when I was researching the play. Uh, I feel like he's been a presence in my life for many decades, as he does for all of us. But obviously, he, he's he's a private individual and he's, he's a self-confessed, pretty shy introvert. And um, the theatre itself that we picked, it's basically the biggest theatre in the UK for uh, to do a play in. It's about 1,200 seats, which... Um, doesn't sound much, I guess, when you think of the capacity for Wembley, but it's basically the Wembley Stadium of British theatre. And you've got to hit the back. You know, you've got to really tell your story so it hits the back back row. And so I spoke to Joseph Fiennes, the actor playing Gareth, quite a lot about the um, the challenge of of making a quiet introvert fill that space. And, and I think we were both sadistically sort of mischievously compelled by the challenge of it. Like, it's much easier to write a speech and act a speech where you're Henry V and you're yelling. Um, I suppose it comes to like a question about like what is big, what is scale? And even though Gareth isn't a big personality, I think his ideas are big and his ambition is big and his mission is big and his heart is big and his soul is big and all that stuff, well, you know, pretentious stuff. And that's what got us excited. Like, can you have a protagonist who's not the normal warrior figure? But he is, you know, the England manager, the impossible job, it is Shakespearean. It's, you know, it's it's going out there trying to bring the cup home and unite a nation around a mission. So I think the size of that is is huge. You sound almost protective when you're talking about him. I guess, yeah. Well, I guess maybe we all are a little bit. Well, I guess, no, obviously he, he has his detractors and I'm aware of that and I'm aware that there's a danger that you just... You know, you fall in love with your protagonist and you don't challenge them enough and question them enough. And Gareth is not the perfect 
manager, is he? I mean, no one is. And he and I think you have to interrogate and question all of his strategies. But I am, of course, if you're going to write a character, you've got to empathise with them because you've got to get your audience to empathise with them as well. And I think I mean, I've grown incredibly fond of him and what he's trying to do and the changes he's made. So let's talk a little bit about your own football fan journey. Um, you grew up near Nottingham. You watched a bit of Mansfield and Nottingham Forest, but it was England that really captured your imagination. And specifically, yeah. 1996, the Euros, and you were, what, 13, 12 or 13? A, a, a young teenager. What do you reckon it was about that moment for you? Uh, well, I, I kind of have vague memories of 1990, the semi-final. Um, mm but I was only about seven or eight then, so it was all new to me. But yeah, for some reason, well, no, not for some reason, like every single other person alive in 1996, it was that summer, that incredible summer when we were hosting the Euros, the sun was shining, um, the, all that whole new Labour, cool Britannia thing. It felt like a real era-defining moment. And um, and I was just swept along by the drama of it, the scale of it, the the stories, the glory, the characters. And and uh, yeah, so I was in a play, actually. I was, I was at my comprehensive school up in Nottingham. I was acting in my first ever play of Mice and Men. So oh. we were having to run backstage. I know it's a big, meaty play, but I was, we were all like running backstage between our scenes to watch this on this crappy portable telly in the, in the <laughs> uh, canteen. England v Germany, the semi-final, the biggest game uh, probably for 30 years in England football. And um, so I, the play finished just in time for the penalties. And I remember that experience of of seeing it play out. And um, and it absolutely broke me. Sorry, Gareth, but it absolutely, no, well, not his fault, no one's fault. It, I, was so, I, I sat in the car home trying to make sense of why it felt um, the way it felt. I'd wanted it to work out. I'd wanted us to win. I thought we should win. And we didn't win. And it was like a really formative moment in my young adult life where I was told maybe for the first time just because you wanted something doesn't mean you're going to get it and maybe you don't even deserve it and yeah just the pain it was extraordinary and you've obviously been thinking about these things for a long time now since that childhood experience but also while writing this play and while thinking about maybe writing this play uh yeah. what is what is your thought on now on why it has this effect on so many people international football yeah, generally it's a really good question and I think it's a question I'm still asking and I'd love to know your feelings on it but it's um, I, I mean especially post-pandemic and obviously I think about this a lot as a as a playwright because I you know I write TV dramas as well like Quiz and Sherwood but there's in it when you're when you're doing a play in a physical space as part of a community where the people are there with you it's like this collective experience is the things that we were denied uh, in lockdown and I think it's something about that. I think it's it's one of the football and particularly these great international tournaments are one of the few remaining sort of opportunities that we get to to collectively experience part of a national story together every two and every four years. And you sort of set markers in your life by it, don't you? I can remember mm, the relationships exactly. I was in in different World Cups. I can remember... You know, the people that you lose along the way, your dad may be there in one tournament and then he's not there the next tournament. And you you, you have these markers in your life that that means the England story reflects slightly your own story as we get older. And then of course I think I'm a you know, I'm a big a huge political nerd as well and I enjoy 
using the England football team as a metaphor, which everyone does, we all do, how, how well England is doing in football seems to act as this barometer about how well we feel confidence and self-esteem wise as a nation. Are we up? Are we down? Are we, are we united? Are we divided? So that's, I think that's all in there as well, isn't it? It's about identity is what you're saying, I think. And, and I think that's what my experience of it has been as well. But the challenge, of course, of that, and especially the England identity, is that sometimes it's been co-opted by far right areas and, and it's sometimes been characterised by intolerance. You know, that whole idea of yeah. the, the, the the flag of St George and, and there's a scene in the play where, you you know, where, where Gal Southgate, which he did, talked about what that meant to all of the different people in his team. And yeah, yeah. I think it was... I think you had Sterling bringing it up that you know this for the him it didn't it didn't mean a whole load of positive stuff because quite often people flying it he'd had bad experiences with. Um, so is that something you've felt uncomfortable with in in relation of uh, to football fandom? Yeah, but I think I think as long as you're in in dialogue with your own discomfort about something, then you can you can address it and unpack it and, and deal with it. And that's why I think it's so impressive about that component of Gareth's mission, which wasn't exclusively just tactics, player selection, strategy. It was culture. And and they had, as we show in the play, they he led these workshops um, with players, you know, these these smart, talented, elite, competitive athletes, multimillionaires, sat them down and said, I started asking big philosophical questions about what it means to be English and like you say all, all about identity and how we relate to our our community our class background our ethnicity our teammates and this is like this is we you know we all should be doing that but the fact that they were doing it um, as part of a training session for football and I know people like people can roll their eyes can't they and especially in the the really tedious culture wars we're all living in at the moment and go oh that's that's bollocks that's liberal progressive woke nonsense but it's really robust, muscular stuff. And it was all in the pursuit of performance. It wasn't just, oh, because this will make us feel better. It was about how do we get the most, how do we get the top performance out of our team? And a lot of that stuff, as they dug into the psychology of sport and the psychology of England, is about feeling like you're part of a team. And as we all know, famously, you know, in the golden generation of Lampard and Gerard and people, when it was that club mentality could not break, they could not find a cohesive England identity. And you saw that on the pitch. We, you don't see that now. This is the most unified, most impressive squad of players, I think, in their, in their approach and their value and their decency that we've ever had. And that is down to asking these difficult and comfortable questions about identity and, uh, and associations, associations with the England flag and England generally. And it's not about pissing on the flag. It's about going, well, what is it? for you and what could it be for us in the future? How do we how do we claim ownership over it, I guess? Do you know space? Space? Yeah, space, sun, moon, stars. Before black holes were discovered, they didn't know why things behaved the way they did. They just knew that objects were bending around something, some great unseeable thing affecting the behaviour of the universe. So what can't we see? What's going wrong? Honestly, it's safe to say anything here. Well, okay. So the clubs don't help. The players, they get paid millions, get smoke blown up their arse. 
Then they come here, get asked to play for free, and take a load of shit from the fucking press. Yeah, I will say, when I was at Chelsea and we sent players here, it was like, we're lending them to you, but you better send them back as you found them. No injuries, no new ideas. All right, I'll say something. They're arrogant, the players. Well, yeah, some of them, No, yeah. no, 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 listen, because I get them on my table, right? As physio, you get this privileged insight, and these current generation of players, Garth, swear down, a lot of them don't even want to be here. They tell me. A lot of them try to get out of it. Get out of it! England! Well, that's huge, isn't it? Aren't we asking why? Why that is? I don't think it's quite because as bad as they're spoiled, that's why. They get paid a fortune, they're too young, they get fed and clothed, all the trimmings, and then when you ask them to represent their country, they start whinging and whining. It's an honour, not a curse. So tell the pricks to fucking act like it. You perform with passion or you piss off. Sorry, but you did ask. <laughs> okay, but uh, good. Okay, yeah. Oh, good start. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Because this is something that is well, each country has a, each country has its own specific challenges. But it seems yeah. like the layers there's just layers. Obviously, this is what you and I know about, right? The layers and layers within yeah. England. And you, you mentioned class there as well. And uh, there's a reference to it as well with Eric Dyer saying about you know how he had a more comfortable life than lots of the yeah. other lots of the other guys on the team. Did you were you trying to deal with? You, it seemed to me that you're trying to look at every single area, but but obviously you must have thought okay I've got to pick these things out um and, and yeah. discard quite a few right because you've only got yeah and exactly and you, and, three you, hours. and you want it exactly and you want it and you know it's still three hours and I'm, I'm we're grateful that people think it flies by <laughs> I hope it does because you know that's <laughs> uh, that's a Marvel movie kind of length but um it's um no class is a big thing for me I, I mean I, I come from a working class background myself in Nottinghamshire from a from a mining community and I have all my own like imposture 
syndrome feelings about that now I'm a playwright living in London and and how does my own identity get affected by that stuff and I think um you know football is is almost unique as a as a world for th- those extremes I suppose of social mobility how how many people with the background of Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden um end up being as successful as prominent as public uh, as successful as rich uh, as those people and and What's our relationship to that as fans? Are we, you know, I think I, I've always believed, and maybe we'll get onto this, that whole shtick people have about um, uh, these footballers becoming social role models and everyone using that phrase, oh, just stick to football, stick to football. Mm. Uh, I think there's an element, I've got to say, in that of, of class snobbery as well, particularly from the media who are like, we don't think of that when we think of journalists, we don't think of that. We don't mind Boris Johnson, who started off as a journalist, eaten educated, um, going into <laughs> politics. Like, why why these lads do we go, no, you have no right to contribute to the national discourse? I think that's uh, questionable. I suppose also the, the other thing that struck me was that you're coming at this from outside of the, of the if you like, the world of football. Like, you know, you're mm. not going to, or maybe you did, I don't know, you're not going regularly anyway to press conferences and, and things like that. So you're yeah. not, you're not in danger of becoming too influenced by what I and some of the rest of the guys um, experience of the world of football, if you if you grasp at what I mean. So it must be yeah, quite good yeah. to be an outsider from that perspective. I hope so, yeah. And I think you can try and get, I felt it was my duty to get as much inside information and perspective as possible. So I did speak to a lot of sports reporters and went and met you know a lot of people at St George's Park including Gareth and tried to get the inside line on it but I think you're right I think having a because obviously one of my jobs is to make this world and this story entertaining and appeal to to non-football fans and football fans alike and it's no secret probably that that it feels like there often isn't an overlap between the world of theatre and art and the world of football and I don't know why there isn't because there is there's lots that's the same, isn't there, in terms of people's um, having a having this great hobby, this great this 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 passion that means something to them. Uh, and you know, some people go to the terraces mm. on a Saturday afternoon, and some people go to a matinee in the West End, and it's it's not it's not really that different. And that's what got re- me really excited, to be honest, to see if those worlds and those fans, of which there are overlaps, can can merge even more, and to get new people into a theatre, and maybe get new people into a stadium as well. Yeah. All right, then tell us about meeting Gareth Southgate. I'm I'm a bit jealous of the idea of you getting to sit down and be like, hey, I'm trying to turn you into a character. Tell me all your <laughs> secrets. Is that how it went? I know you said that he, he said a few helpful things um, that, yeah, he was in, that contributed yeah, in, to the play. Without a doubt. And I, I, I spoke, I'd, I'd spoken to a lot of his team as well, who were incredibly helpful, but and only in the only in the sense of I guess similarly to you and your job, I was trying to do research, I was trying to get an understanding of things and um, and people in the FA and elsewhere were just really accommodating and just and, and tolerating my ignorance <laughs> while I asked um, a lot of probably very stupid questions. But I, I found in being a political playwright, you have to embrace your ignorance and go, yeah. I think my stupidity is actually really helpful here. So I'm going to be unashamedly um, ignorant. And um, yeah, it wasn't a huge amount of time and he, he, um, he just sort of, he, he helped me. I think the thing he really helped me get if there was one thing, um, was that all the warm, fuzzy stuff that clearly he could tell um, 
inspired me as a playwright, the, the, the emotional, psychological work they did on the team. Um, mm. I think the, the lesson he, I learned from speaking to everybody across his team was that that is always in the service of winning. It's always in the service of the highest performance possible. So I think I said that earlier. It's not just a, it's not just a a bit of virtue signaling to make us feel good about ourselves. It's 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 the ruthlessness of elite competitive sport is inherent even in all that softer, humane stuff. And he also drew, he was just also in a typically um, generous, humble Gareth Southgate way. He he, mm. he wanted to always make it clear that it's not just about him and there are there are dozens if not hundreds of people who contribute to that England machine to pivot it and to, to turn the ship to away from the disaster of 2016 when we were at our lowest ebb <sighs> having just lost to Iceland to getting to our first ever semi-final two years later that's extra sorry first ever semi-final since 1990 when I first Mm-mm. watched it I mean that's extraordinary that that transformation it's almost revolutionary and uh yeah, he's uh, he he wanted to me me to meet loads of people and understand that the manager is only only one part of that world. Did you ask him about ninety six? He brought it up actually. So I mean, and uh, he he's written about this himself. He's written about it in a in his book. He wrote about it in in articles and letters. And um, uh, so he's not on a you know he he's he's plainly aware that that's part of his story and his journey and the nation's journey. And how do you? How do you lose better? How do you take that loss and learn from it? And I think that's what's happened in the past six years has been the most inspiring version of, of how you do that. Did you find him magnetic? Yeah, in my yeah, in a, in a of course it's like it's like whenever you meet one of your idols, you, they, they just they just you like project onto them magnetism. So I can't even tell whether <laughs> that was just me imagining it or. Um, you know, it's an impressive. He's impressive um, and likable. So yeah, that's all there. Were you more excited then to meet him, the footballer, or him, the manager, as a fan? I think my head was spinning so much, my my mouth so dry, my hand shaking, just because I wanted to use the time. <laughs> I didn't want to waste the, the the incredible privilege of being allowed that sort of time with him and with everybody, with the media people, with coaches. I spent some time with psychologists and nutritionists and everybody. I, I loved meeting everybody. And, um, I, 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 and you know, it's important for me as a writer to see them as human beings and people, not just names in a newspaper or, 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 uh, or yeah, stats on a, on a result sheet. So, yeah, it was really, it was brilliant. I, was, I felt very lucky. Which, which brings us on to Pippa Grange. So in, yeah. in your play, so this is a psychologist who worked in the England team. Um, not, I mean, this was an innovation, and you talk about it in the play, but an innovation from Gareth Southgate, although I should say that the England women's team brought it in um, far earlier than that, but uh, that's <laughs> a story enough. for another day um, as well. Um, anyway, she's played by Gina McKee, who's amazing. Um, yeah. And, and she, you kind of turned her into the other, other lead in the play, really. Okay, yeah, good start. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder though if we should also be looking within. Within? Yeah, we've gone the technical route the past decade and proved that and we're worse than ever, so maybe it's about bringing some different new people in to help with this. Starting with a psychologist, maybe. Pressure getting to already, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, for the players, Mike. I don't think the problem's out there on the pitch, I think it's here. Yeah, well, okay. 
So traditionally, the lads don't love someone watching them trying to analyse their every move. They might have more and more of that fluff at club level, but we only get snatches of a player's time. They don't tend to want to spend that on a therapist's couch. That's why we need the right person. If we could begin that search... There was a new emphasis shifted onto the psychological um, and behavioural. How do people behave under pressure? Or how do people behave when they're suffering from great fear? And there's no greater fear probably in the world than having to take a penalty um, in a tournament game in a knockout phase. So, so, um, so and I, But actually, I find her on an individual level incredibly inspiring if you read her work and what motivates her to to, um, to liberate us all from being um, paralyzed by fear and how do you use fear so that you can be a better version of yourself and not deny yourself all the opportunities that fear often does by 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 making a mistake or by not even trying in the first place I think that's I mean it's not, it's not necessarily rocket science but the way that she talks about it and the way that she applied it I think um, on a team level and on an individual level with players, I think um, I think did make a have a big and significant impact on the on the culture of the sport. So it sounds so it sounds like yeah, you, when you're talking about this, it sounds like yeah, you're researching and you're trying to figure out how this would turn into a story. But it sounds like, mm. in fact, she Gareth aside because obviously that was always going to happen. But it sounds like she had quite a strong personal impact on you. Do you yeah, feel like she did. You, are yeah. you are you walking around thinking about fear in your own life now? Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I probably always was, and 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 her writing in her in her book, and we 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 had a great session research session together, and then she helpfully came into the room to meet some of the players, and we had a lot of other people come into the room. We had historic football. Historic makes them sound like they're dead. No, uh, like legacy players like Lee Dixon and people like that who came into the room and was brilliant. Like they'd show show the boys how to take a, a not terrible penalty kick and that kind of thing. It's um, so we were really blessed with the people who came and, and worked with us. But yes, I don't deny that. I think um, I think Pippa is. Uh, I would recommend anyone reading her reading her work. It, 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 it can be. I think it's applicable. To, um, to all walks of life. And essentially, I don't want to paraphrase her thesis, but often we just um, avoid, we just avoid on a personal level or in a, in a sports level, or I would argue in a political national level, we sometimes avoid looking at the thing um, and mm. burying the fear rather than interrogating it and getting in control of it and understanding it and not being afraid of the fear. And I think... Um, that obviously the biggest example of that, and Pippa will be the first to say that she is not this guru who solved the penalty curse. Russia 2018, the first time England ever win a, world, a knockout World Cup penalty shootout. The inventors of the game were tormented by having not achieved this, and they did it. And it was you know, the fact that it was Gareth who led that, considering his own story with penalties, obviously for a dramatist is incredibly... Um, neat and tidy and lovely and beautiful um so so pippa would deny that she had a huge contribution to that but i think she was one of the people who 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 fed in to gareth's new philosophy which was to call things out and famously of course in 96 when he took that penalty they hadn't practiced penalties and there was no plan and no one knew who was going to take them until the moment it happened and there's no other explanation for that level of irrationality except <laughs> no fear. fear. Except that you, you just don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it. If you're talking about penalties, it means you've not you've not won the game. And so why would we even project that? Onto... But, you know, as grown-ups, Gareth and his team just went, we have to talk about it and we have to talk about it now and we're not going to be afraid of it. And I think that is a, a good life lesson for all of us.
that's though how you characterize what happens in the final of uh, the Euros. Yes. You you have Southgate not bringing on the key penalty takers till the very last minute, something for which he was massively criticized. Um, out of hoping that he can protect them from having to take to take them. I mean, presumably that's not something yeah. he uh, he told you about. That's you. That's your your license, your uh, dramatic license. Yeah, and I think we all. You, well, I don't know what you, what your interpretation was or is of that decision. Um, and yeah, my it's helpful for me and the play. I think to see it through, through. Uh, I, I guess some he's not completely got there yet in himself and this mission. And obviously, you know, something arguably did go tactically wrong in that moment because. Some of those players hadn't had any time on the ball, and um, but understandably, the, the the alternative to that, I guess, is you don't want to bring off bring off players too early because then you might lose the game and you might not even get the penalty. This is this is really hard stuff. Um, but yes, of course, ugh, you know that was that moment. Um, you were probably there, weren't you? But that moment in the final was. was extraordinary, and uh, and and there we are back again, having just solved the problem in twenty eighteen. Um, our first final in, in since '66, and and you know, as a writer, I couldn't have devised a more heartbreaking way to go out. Yeah, on the day, I have to say, um, on the ramble just before the show, or maybe even just around when we were chatting, I said I'd become so convinced by the idea that we'd solved penalties. I believed right, yeah. this whole thing, James, so much that I was running around telling everybody that if it went to penalties, we'd fucking win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it was your fault. You <laughs> so it. I was, you, you I was standing it. there just convinced it was going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- you know, this is it, right? This is why it's so amazing, I imagine for you getting having got to write a play because everybody runs around if they are an England fan creating these little psychodramas where they think they can explain absolutely everything that's going on and yeah. uh, and you got to turn it into into a project that took up your whole time and and that yeah, hundreds I mean, in, in and way, thousands of people come to watch no it's brilliant and also I'm like I'm like using it as therapy as well I'm trying to get through <laughs> what like because I think in the moment I actually really believe this I think in the modern particularly in the modern world and this can apply to sport or politics. Like, and this is why podcasts like yours are so brilliant because in the in the in the relentlessness of information in the modern world, where things just co- are coming at you every second, it's like really hard to step back and go. So, but what does it mean? What is it saying? Mm. How do I place this into like a structure? And I think whether it's a song or a painting or a play, it it kind of just pauses the the ride for briefly and puts the chaos into a frame. And you look at people making choices and there are consequences to that choice. And it just helps us as human beings, I think, make sense of sometimes things that don't are really hard to, to get your head around in a random universe. And I remember, you know, being on the floor with, with the pain of those those three boys missing that penalty. And then, the, of course, the, the absolutely devastating and ugly aftermath of that. Um, it, it, sometimes it requires a breath and sometimes it requires storytelling. We've spoken a lot of, of all of this really is is a kind of political work. Do you feel mm. we've seen today, Jordan, when we're speaking, Jordan Henderson is off to play for Saudi, play for Saudi Arabia. That was a yeah. Freudian slip, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, do you feel, do you, how do you feel about that personally? Do you, do you feel, do you feel, and, and Gareth Southgate has said, it's fine, you're going to still get picked for England or you're still, I still back you or, or whatever. You mean like, what, what are the, what are the moral responsibilities of a footballer? Yeah. To, yeah. It's, yeah. But we saw that in Qatar, didn't we? Like, what, um, 
if you're, it's almost like the Pandora's box that Gareth slightly opened in, in terms of embracing, and in my opinion, rightly embracing the idea that these these young lads are going to be role models in a way that they always have been. You know, there's always posters on bedroom walls and names on kids' backs. They've always been role models, um, but they they're allowed to they're allowed to personalize that in the way that people like Sterling and Rashford have done. So I think in a way you therefore invite the potential for um, accusations of hypocrisy or criticism because you hold yourself to such a standard um, that is always maybe going to be an impossible to to meet. So like personally, I mean, I don't, um, I would never personally judge um, anyone making a decision based on their career, their family and anything else. I think it's, I think it's up to them and it's, but it's, it's a complicated world, isn't it? And football, when it comes to money, power, corruption, it's it's all in there, and and all the other stuff, racism, violence. Um, it's it's uh, it's a world I think that theatre and drama can can and should hold because it's a really that's what theatre does so well. It's about nuance and complexity. Brilliant stuff, James. Thank you so much for joining us. What a delight to talk to you, and congratulations on the play as well. It was oh, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a, as I say, it was an emotional roller coaster, but I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Kate. Well, we hope, obviously, it will have a life uh, which we'll be able to talk about in the future. Hopefully, this isn't it. So, yeah, watch this space for the next, um, the next outing of the play. What a lovely man, and uh, <laughs> what a great and slightly weird way of talking about the England football team. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it was a relief to me, definitely, given that it was three hours, that it wasn't a kind of goal reboot and it was actually great um and it also yeah he's talking about the trauma thing like it definitely was a way to like relive through russia through wembley through Qatar as well as a fan and then think about how i felt about those things so i really appreciated that um do tell us what you thought about today's episode on twitter and instagram at football ramble you can follow us there and on youtube and on tiktok and do subscribe on your podcast app never to miss an episode from us you can find me on twitter and on instagram and on threads at kvl mason and i'll speak to you very soon take care the football ramble is a stack production and part of the acast creator network 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.